Week's guest is known by fans as Super John McCarthy, a player who twice won Club Man of the Year, achieved promotion and left for £450,000 in 1995, which at the time was York City's biggest transfer fee received. Going on to play international football with Northern Ireland, a League Cup final with Birmingham, McCarthy has always held a strong bond for York City. This episode is sponsored by the Serginer family. Back in the mid-50s, Grandad Alex Serginer was a policeman with the City of York Police and he would get requisition duty occasionally on a Saturday afternoon being one of two coppers in attendance. No requirement of stewards in all parts of the ground in those days. He would smuggle his son John in under his cape for the game, sitting behind the Boudin Crescent goal and collecting five minutes from the end when the flag went down. As a result, his son John followed City through the 60s and his sons, Ian, James and Andrew, became active supporters from the 80s. His grandson Jim would push the tea and coffee snack trolley around the perimeter of the pitch whilst Andrew did the away kiosk which in 1986 he remembers was invaded by Middlesbrough supporters who raided the kiosk and stole all the pies and then sang we ate all the pies. Um, Like most City fans they remember the halcyon days and more recently our Wembley trips and they hope we can get out of this league ASAP but with treasured memories of Bootham Crescent. Without further ado, here is John McCarthy. John, thanks a lot for joining us. Born in Middlesbrough, I'm presuming that you support Middlesbrough because when I lived in Middlesbrough, when I was at uni there, everyone seemed to support Middlesbrough. Is that, is that the case with you? It is, yeah. We're about 40 miles south of Newcastle and Sunderland. I guess there's Hartlepool not far away and down to but So Middlesbrough is that biggest club. We don't have the rivalry that Newcastle and Sunderland have because there's the distance. We only have it when Newcastle, they're not in the same division and we're in the same division as one of them. That's when it becomes a rivalry. I suppose it is them or it's Leeds. So we're sort of in the middle. So yeah, if you're, if you're in Middlesbrough, there's not much else to do there. So you're, uh, you support the football team, yeah. So who were your idols growing up watching Middlesbrough? The, the mad thing is, my mum's cousin married Jim Platt, who's the goalkeeper for Middlesbrough at the time, when I'm seven, eight, nine. And I remember it was, it was my auntie. We used to stay there with their kids when Jim was away on a Friday night. And Jim was, he was number two to Pat Jennings, Northern Ireland. So actually, I remember him when Northern Ireland qualified for the World Cups, 82, 86. I remember Jim would bring us back the little, the little medals there'd be tops, shirts and that that he'd had in the World Cup. And so when you're seven, eight, nine, ten year old and you sort of, you meet somebody who played football, you know, for your local club and was on the telly in the World Cup, it was quite a big thing, I think, to be around that. Hey, we didn't see him a lot, but, you know, we saw the, the rest of the family a lot. We were sort of there on the fringe and stuff. But I remember... Terry Cochran was a right winger, used to play for Middlesbrough, Northern Ireland then, used to play without any shin pads, socks rolled down. So there would have been, that was my very earliest memories of going to watch football there. And Sooness played, Graham Sooness played for Middlesbrough then and then moved on to Liverpool, David Hodgson, David Armstrong. It would be that era, my very first games, you know, sort of primary school. But then... I guess I always played to always clash with a Saturday but when I got to 16 your games then under 18 games were on a Sunday so I went during the two scenes where Middlesbrough almost went into liquidation so it would have been the likes of Bernie Slaven Dean Glover Stephen Pears, the goalkeeper it would have been Tony Mowbray Gary Pallister for two years 
I went every Saturday to every home game with my mates. I stood in the old gate end at Old Derson Park and watched. So that was the real one time in my life where I could really be a fan with your mates and go and watch it. And I do have really fond memories. It was a great time of really going to football. And then before I knew it, I was playing again. So it was, it was mad. It was two seasons where I did the real fan thing, but it was good because it made you realise hey, what it was like, really like to be on the terraces. So John, the first player you mentioned there was was Terry Cochran, who was a who was a winger. And of course, your career you're most associated with that position. Is was that the inspiration for you playing on the right wing? No, because I was a I would have started at York as a striker. I played wide as a kid, so I, I guess it was when I was with Tartlepool with Alan Little and starting at York. My first game for York would have been as as a centre forward, and I would have played that first game as I remember. They going back then, they were really small squads, you know, and I, I don't know whether it was just two subs that you had then. I was trying to think back one or two, it's probably two subs that you had. So you didn't carry big squads. And I do remember I was a student, I did all right. Always played non-league football, did all right at my low levels, A levels, turned down a YTS at Hartlepool, turned down the first year pro at Hartlepool to carry on studying and just play for their under-19s and reserves. Alan Little, John Bird got the sack there, new manager, thought I was away for three years, and Alan just got in touch and said play for the reserves. So I used to travel to York from Nottingham Polytechnic and play for the reserves, wherever they were, at Bootham Crescent or wherever it was in the country, I'd just meet the rest of the team there and play. And I guess in my final year there, when I'm still from a dissertation would have been David Longhurst when David Longhurst died on the pitch would have been the beginning of that season and I remember it's really strong and the other thing that was really significant I remember playing for York at home somewhere near York University I think we played Sunderland and drawn one all it was a good result for us I got on the train back from there and it was the day of the Hillsborough disaster and York to Nottingham, you stopped at Sheffield. It was the one stop. I remember getting on the train at Sheffield and this young lad then, you remember what the FA Cup was like there? And I'm looking to get back and, and see what was happening. And I remember being outside the stadium and you could see Hillsborough lights from there. And I know it was 20 past three. I remember looking at my watch and thinking, oh, wow, the FA Cup semi-final is there now. It's, it's happening now. There's no mobiles then, there's no nothing. It wasn't until I got back to the university and walked in, hey, what was the score? What was the score? And everyone sat around the television and it was almost, I must have passed within, I don't know, 400, 500 yards of where all of that was going on. And I'd been at a York under-19 game on that morning. So linked between my education and travelling back into York, there's some quite significant moments. And, and then my actual dissertation that last year, the club helped me a lot and it was on the Hillsborough disaster and the Taylor report. And I used York a lot, the secretary there and, and people helped me out, uh, out with a, a lot of that stuff. But then later on, I said, David Longhurst, you know, I remember him dying on the pitch and everything around that. And I didn't know David, I'd never played with him. He was first team, I was reserves, but everybody talking about that. And I didn't go straight into the team then, but I bet it wasn't long after. So it was a small squad, I bet it wasn't very long after where I ended up playing centre forward, way down in the FA Cup. And I played about 30 games that season, you know, without actually training with the squad. Just turning up on a Saturday. Your debut for York City was actually later that month that um, David Longhurst passed away on the pitch. Just going back to your, your roots with, with education there, it was quite an unconventional route, wasn't it, into football? Yeah. And, I, and I noticed that you, you played for Great Britain in the student games as quite a young lad. So it was, it was really unconventional. I guess I probably lost my chance when I'm released at Harlepool. That would be the bit where I'd go. But I was a late developer. I wasn't great technically. I had good physical attributes. I was quick and I could run all day. I had good stamina. And I think if I look back now, I'm really honest, I was very fortunate the game went. It was very like Charles Hughes and Jack Charlton and Graham Taylor and almost at Wimbledon. It went a very 4-4-2 
probably a period of football that's not locked on too well at the moment but it, but it suited me and from that centre forward position I was moved to wide right I would score about 10 goals a season up front I still scored 10 goals from out wide and I could go past people with my pace and put crosses in and I would go up and down and provide a lot I was a very modern winger and I guess timing wise I was fortunate that I very much suited suited that role and it allowed me I did work very hard once I got back into full time I used to play get £25 a week playing at Shepshed Charterhouse while I was a student and I would probably have done that and played semi-professional football but I got in and as that game changed and that role really suited me I used to go in I was a bit embarrassed at the time left foot wasn't very good I used to go in early at York and train about an hour or so before the lads in that little gym that's in the corner of the pitch well it was a gym there and I just used to kick the ball against the wall with my left foot and I'd go in an hour before and then get back in the changing rooms because I, I felt like oh, people laugh at me doing it and then hey, I'd stay a little bit longer in the old baths there and then when everyone else would go home I'd go and do another hour and gradually over four or five years at York my technique picked up I had the physical attributes and it got me my moves and I always did that so I was playing catch up a little bit but really grateful because the full time opportunity and just being living in the digs around the corner. Hey, after the training had finished, go there with the lads, get into the clubhouse and watch Sky Sports with Gordon Staniforth, who used to run the place and that then. It was um, it was really unconventional. That's how I ended up there. The World Student Games thing was the last year. I played so many games for York. I played in that World Student Games. World Student Games had been in Canada, America, Brazil. The year I was selected for it was in Sheffield. How was your luck? So I'm ended up in, I'm stuck in Sheffield, <laughs> not stuck in Sheffield, but Sheffield got a lot of criticism because the taxes went up. They paid a lot money for this it was a great experience for me and we got a bronze medal that never finished higher than I don't know 8th, ninth, or 10th and we had this really good run semi-final at Hillsborough against Holland we lost I ended up getting the golden boot I was the top scorer there so because it was in this country people started to notice me a little bit and York signed me at that point you know and it was I don't know whether it was going to happen but actually they signed me and made sure that they tied me down there and yeah I got a contract on them probably on the back of that Sheffield stuff I've done alright Was it John Ward that moved you to right right wing then? So we signed Paul Barnes so really the first the first spell that I'm in we, we never got hammered by anybody we would draw a lot of games finished fourth bottom of that season John Bird out I remember the chance I remember the night he went John Ward came in towards the end of the season and it was the first time other than that World Student Games I had a, an FA coach Ted Powell who has died now came in proper coach John Ward came in and he really coached Alan Little was really influential to me in my career in terms of 442 honest real honest good values I think Alan is probably one of the most successful managers York ever had if you, if you follow his record but I think he probably picked up a lot from John Ward as well John Ward came in and really coached us it was really at the point where I recognised hey that's different that's real coaching he picked this up from, from Graham Taylor and the most significant thing he did was he signed Paul Barnes so I think Staniforth won at the back Gary Swan I think we brought in the middle to go with Nigel Pepper and he brought Paul Barnes in which was all of a sudden took us from a team that drew a lot of games or lost 1-0 to suddenly putting 30 goals in the team, which turned the draws into wins and the odd goals into, into draws. And that was the really significant thing. And then I went out wide and, and probably they created most of his goals for him, Barnsley. Yeah, so, so John, around that time, you, you had a really good link up with sort of Andy McMillan and, and Paul Barnes, yeah. like you mentioned there before. W- was that something then that you worked on in training with John Ward or was that a natural kind of thing? Yeah, he, he brought in... 
some shape and some system and there was real there was real structure to it. It was like he'd been and which he would have done, he'd been on the on the FA courses. Now I'd recognise that now from from going. I've got my A licence, so I've gone through the courses and been coaching for a while now and, and that stuff would it would really interest me, the tactics and so I read a lot around that now. So as I look back you know, I recognise that John Ward had done that and there was a real structure to his training and his planning. But there was something about, I always remember him really understanding the key moments of games. So I guess the Andy McMillan, me, Paul Barnes, there's a lot of just natural, there's good players. Nigel Pepper was a good player and went on and, and moved. Gary Swan coming with experience. Paul Staniford played at, at good levels. Callum Ian Blackstone converted to a left winger from a striker was was genius at the time. There was Wayne Hall. There, there was good technique. There was a lot of good players with good technique. So I think probably that was his big thing, recruitment. He brought in good players and that was significant at the beginning. Paul Barnes coming in and then he provided a structure. But he almost understood. I remember he, he almost knew when those moments in game when we're on top of you could take a chance. I remember specifically one from one set from the sideline once him almost and I'm on the right wing. I could I could pick up a lot of that. And he almost recognised a spell in the game and he went, right, it's now we're scoring this spell. And he almost got up and increased the tone of his voice and the tempo of his voice and really moved us on and almost got the team to recognise this is the spell. And we did, we scored in it. And he had a lot of charisma. He clearly understood the game and, and he really did He really did lead us and took us forward at that point. So, yeah, he was very intelligent. And John Ward, he was, re- he was really significant in terms of moving that club forward. And then Alan a Little, I think, I think where Alan was clever afterwards was he didn't change much. And that's what was really intelligent about Alan at that time. When John moved on to Bristol Rovers, it could have been a big blow for us. But putting Alan in charge and he almost seamlessly just moved that on and kept it going for a while with some good players. Just yeah. about John Ward, knowing that he could sort of almost dictate when you were yeah. going to score and, and that sort of thing. That, that must giving you a lot of confidence as players to think wow, wow we have scored there and he's just saying you know almost seen an opening and, and what, what you should do from a coach's point of view you must have had a lot of confidence in your actual manager there and thinking you know he, he's got the power to do that he did so it was really structured so, so the trainer moved on everything was more intelligent there was more system, more process people would talk about talk about now. But there was also just a lot of knowledge from him, a lot of experience he gained at Watford, being up the high level. I think this was John Ward going right, being an assistant for a long time, coming out and taking what I know and putting it in at this level. And he was, he'd been at a high level and he came down here. It was probably the perfect club for him. He wasn't here long. Clearly he was destined for better things and, and we got the benefits of that and it really kick-started the club. But there just was... I guess I would know that now from being a manager assistant. You can recognise points in a game where things are difficult and actually it's at that point where you're looking to try and change things. Hey, we're under pressure as a team and you try and change something in the game just to break that up and almost the other way around. You can pick up on momentum in a game and recognise, right, all the numbers are working in our favour now, all the overloads in our favour, you know, they're back. And you can sense that and it will be if you build some pressure at that point. And I think that's, it's obviously a lot more than that but it was that knowledge and real understanding of the game backed with his tactical awareness and able to recognise good players so you know actually as you talk it, he was just a very good coach very good manager you mentioned there about Alan Little coming in 
and obviously that first game that he came in was Barnet away which on paper at the time was going to be one of York's toughest games anyway and dismantled them 5-1 in a fantastic performance and I was looking back at the goals from that game and I think you assisted a couple of them and you seem to have a beating of that fullback all afternoon did you kind of know as a winger sort of early on in a game whether you had the beating of, of someone because obviously I would say back then you wouldn't have had videos of these players and you probably wouldn't have known who these fullbacks were was it like on instinct that you would try something early doors and, and know whether you were quicker or something like that yeah it was I'm just going to it was quite basic I'm just I'm not going to pass them uh, and I'm going past them it was it really was I'm finding a little bit of space to knock this on the other side of them and knock it in front and go and race them and you know that there'd be a couple of players I remember a lad at Plymouth was always a challenge I remember the lad at Brentford Martin Granger who I ended up playing against was a challenge the lad at Bradford who played there for a long time if I went back I'd pick up the names but yeah they're, they're almost still the memories in my head where you'd know oh, this is going to be a tough game but for a lot of them so I was quick and I could beat some of them from a pace but I could and it's not, it's not me being clever I knew technically where I, where I was at there I had a lot to learn but I could keep running I, I was a strong runner so I could keep doing it Maybe one time you would go around the outside of them and, and your crosses as well you'd either hit it deep or, or you'd hit it low and hard in the middle where Paul back and it, looking yeah. back at the goals now it just seems so instinctive that you all kind of knew where, where everyone was and, and like if you, if you weren't going to beat the full but you'd know Andy McMillan would be bombing on the right hand side it just seemed so like looking back it was a, a pleasure to watch yeah it was I didn't use to hey, me and Mark it was great it was, a, it was a great partnership but I didn't want to give him the ball and I would tell him we'll joke about that quite often he's a wide player you only get it so many times in the game right that's me I'm, I'm going past so if he went on an overlap, quite often I'm using him to go inside and he knew that. We joke about it a bit, but there was some some reality to that where, hey, that's, that's me, I want the ball. I do remember I would make a lot of runs in behind the other channel. Wayne, Wayne Hall would just put the ball in behind. So I would quite often sometimes go right and make a run in a channel the other side beyond the Paul Barnes and Wayne Hall would just put the ball in behind. So it was pretty much, if I get it right, can I beat him on the outside? And then in my head, if I could do that, keep doing that. Then there comes a point where the defender's not going to get beat all the time there, so he'll come tight to you. So when you receive the ball, he's there and he's just ready to kick you straight away. So then I'm going shorter to receive it. And when he comes tight to me, I've created some space in behind. Right, put the ball over the top and go in there for me. Next time, come, I come inside. And it was, I'd almost have variations and the ultimate game for me was I've done you on the outside and right I know where you're going to go now. I'm doing you inside and then I'm bringing you short and I'm going in behind and, and every now and then you'd have a game where you just did the fullback in every possible way and that would be the, the ultimate that's where I was trying to to achieve all the time but you come up against some good ones who had good amount of pace and that would be good battles and then when you were right on top of your game you'd still provide that one moment that one cross even though it's been a battle all day you still get that little edge on them so but Paul Barnes was was really clever it felt like I had somebody who made runs that almost some of the pitches that I would see I think I think I was quite bright and intelligent and once you, you got got players around you who they just created the pitches and then you knew what to do you knew where to put the ball and some of that was instinctive until they arrived and it all happened I guess I was fortunate to have good players around then the pace I was running then he, he, he'd make the right runs and you'd, you'd put him in and, and get him in there but yeah it was um, we were, it was a good group it was a really strong bond there was a lot of young lads they around the city our partners would be out and around on the nights that we could be out and in Dawn and I lived in Dunny's brother's house and that student house and that down the road and that so yeah it was a good time it was a good time things just came together 
mean, you talk about things coming together and obviously it all culminates in, in York City getting to Wembley where you nearly score an absolute wonder goal, don't you? Rob Evans, I think, who plays for Crew in, in centre of midfield, run pretty much the full length of the Crew half, beat a last defender inside out about three times and then unfortunately just spooned the ball over at the at the last second. Was was that just pure tiredness there at the end? It was. It was running around on that pitch and but actually that was, it was almost that was that was my strength when everyone else got tired I could do that. So I remember but yeah, it might have been one of the best goals ever scored at that Wembley. I know there wasn't many people there. The things about Wembley it, it was amazing you know and you did realise so crew first their first appearance our first appearance similar sizes I think we both took about 10,000 fans and I would remember coming and it's Wembley I'm still young it was it was so special to be walking out that twin towers thing that you'd watch the FA Cup final you don't think you're going to play then you're playing to get there, we beat Barry over two legs. When you come out and, and on your right-hand side, you come out the tunnel, it was packed. But then there was nothing on the other side because it held 90,000 there. And it's probably, it's a quarter, a third, full. So the noise and then it, it was great. It, it was it was really special. But then I would remember stuff like, so we kicked off and on the other side. So when the ball went out and went over the track into the seats, I had to go and get it. <laughs> so, so there was like, there was one full side like Wembley. And then the other side, hang on, this isn't our pitch. I'm, I'm climbing over the seats to get the ball and yet the pitch and everything you thought about it on the occasion was great but yeah I remember picking that ball up and it did flew and whoever came across at the end I did proper turn him inside I went to the right I cut back in I went to the right he fell over but when you watch it next time have a look at Tony Cannon I think and you know, I've run I must have run 70, 80 yards or something at that point and the keeper's there and I have ended up a bit wide if I, if I hit the target I'd probably score but if I just square that Tony Cannon rolls that in and it was the last kick of the game we would have won the game there and then it ended up into extra time it would have won it and the occasion the goal and everything yeah I always look back on that and think that would have been played over and over and over again. And yet, a lot of people will forget that. I got So it must have been showed on York recently in lockdown. They must have played it. And it was on Twitter and people got in touch with me and, re- and remembered that and said about it. And, and I still, it's very clear in my mind, but I guess a lot of people would forget that from the day. If it had gone in, though, it would have been, yeah, probably as good a goal or one of the most famous goals in York's history. So, ah. So like you say, last minute there, could have won it for York City. Unfortunately, didn't. Goes to extra time. York take the lead through Gary Swan's second goal of the season. Unfortunately, again, hammer blow, conceding a penalty in the last minute. Crew score, goes to penalties. You must have been absolutely shattered by that point. 120 minutes, uh, goes to a penalty shootout. Were you always going to take a penalty in that shootout? Yeah, and, and I think um, I had a good game. I was in good form. You've played well in the game. I think that's the key. Uh, you're confident and I'm happy. I took the first one. I remember rumming that and my dad being up there thinking, oh, not him. But I did actually felt quite confident and you keep it goes the right way but I do put it right in the corner and it goes in I think we hadn't practiced and we scored everyone we scored every penalty they only missed one didn't the Wally missed one it was actually quite a high standard on the day but yeah if we'd have, we'd have missed one or two but actually we scored every single one and it went all Peps was a good penalty remember Bob Arns yeah so it was you would think after the Steve Tuttle moment and it was so harsh you know he hadn't played such a from the area and that it was such a big game for him. it must have been hard for him not to be playing in that and I guess almost won it and they brought Stancliffe off didn't it and took goes on and for, him, for it to happen that he's just going to try and win the head and missed times it 
hits his hand. We gave him some stick afterwards, but it was a horrendous moment for him. But it just drew out the occasion even more to make it. It must have been, it was almost easier being on the pitch then than I guess it was being a fan. But when it all happened and we got there, it was, it was the ultimate way of getting promoted, wasn't it? It's the ultimate party. Extra time. So I guess if you're a fan, the first time you go to Wembley and there's a player as well, it's everything that you want, isn't it? It's everything that you want. You want to go there and you don't want it to end. You want to have another 30 minutes at Wembley and penalties and you want to win it. And we had all of that. And it does hit home to me how special that was now and to be a part. It was special, especially at the time, getting on the bus and travelling up there and all those bits of things. But yeah, it was... Um it was everything that you'd want from a Wembley occasion, wasn't it, in the first one? I think if, we, if we'd have lost on penalties, I think I'd have been devastated as a young boy. But it's interesting you said about the crowd as well, because I, I remember thinking that crew didn't sort of make any noise at all during the game. And then when we got back to the underground, they were saying the opposite about York. But I think because we were opposite sides, we couldn't hear each other because it was so big. So moving on to the, to the next season, another successful one for yourself, you know, eight goals. An early doors beating Cardiff 5-0, I think was probably one of your best performances in the York shirt. You scored the fifth, but you were man of the match as well. I was looking back at that again last night that you know Steve Cooper got a couple of goals as well I think that was the mm. first goals he got for the club yeah. it seemed like a, almost like a peak time to be a York fan you know and I imagine I wonder whether it was the same as you as a player that you know beating Cardiff who were a big side aren't they big yeah. club beating them 5-0 I mean it must have been in the dressing room after that it must have been absolutely buzzing yeah, we were, we were cable, so we'd had we had good players. We build up all that confidence and going up, and then you, you create momentum. And, and I guess that's it would be the you are so. There's games I remember. I remember I remember the Barnet game that you mentioned. I remember it because I think they gave me a ten in the paper for for that game. It was a really hard pitch, but I do remember just things clicking. And Paul Barnes was on fire as well, and he scored a hat trick. I think he was wound up because I got I got the man of the match in the paper. He scored a hat trick at Barnet, but it was a great day. I remember as we used to beat Blackpool. 5-0 away yeah. and at home and I don't know why but we beat them there and at home I'm sure it was 5-0 every time I do have when I was at York I used to get the paper and at some point I cut out all the clippings so I have them from the seasons haven't seen them for years they are in a loft somewhere hey, but at some point hey, when I'm, hey, when I'm really, I will go go through that but I do have from the Yorkshire Evening Press and I have all the, the cuttings of those games and I'll go back and see whether my memories actually match what did happen but then remember the, uh, the game in the snow against Scunthorpe as well the 5 one where playing with an orange ball yeah, I mean that yeah, just wouldn't happen now would it no no, and it was and you could hardly stand it I remember you not knowing whether to try and boots on and then try and trainers and different players not knowing which just yeah it was crazy and some of, some of the pitches you almost get that the Barnet game that we talked about was like that but there was just no grass it was rock hard just almost like mud elements and, and sand but yeah but we were capable you'll get teams like that I suppose Sheffield United their level now like a smaller team but actually you've got good players and, and I guess if, if you see what the sales of players and where players went on after that career, Dean Carley, Bob Barnes and, and, and York generated a lot of money from players from that squad and young lads who mo- moved on and didn't put Jonathan Green in, wasn't it? There was a keeper, Nick, um, Nick who moved on to Man United as well, wasn't it? So, Nick, yeah, so there was, there was a lot who moved on. And actually, when you look back, it makes sense. There was just, it was that timing where we had a lot of good players. So although the club in terms of the size of a Cardiff, actually what we were putting out on the pitch in terms of the squad was better and was more capable. So And, and we had enough confidence that reputations didn't bother us. And, and I guess, you know, Alan, later we come back to that stuff, it was cleverly brought, you know, Steve Cooper in and they to replace and, and, it, and it worked well. But the momentum we had, we were not far off going into the championship. 
it was that yeah so as I remember it we played we went to the playoffs again didn't we and I remember really wet day at Bootham Crescent and Stockport with some there were giants Kevin Francis six foot seven who I ended up playing with at Birmingham and they were just big all the way through and I think they beat us one nil no, was it was it a draw at our place? It might have been a draw at Bootham. There was nothing in it. We were trying to get a goal and take something to their place. And when we went there, clearly they were then favourites. But it was nil-nil going really close to the end. I pulled my hamstring and it feels like it was only five minutes to go. There was hardly any time to go. Ten minutes or five minutes to go. And I pulled my hamstring, which is uh, horrendous at that time and that stage of a game. And it probably was the, the tightness. And I'm off, I'm on the bench. And they scored with a couple of minutes to go. I don't know whether they went up that year, but we were so close to being in a playoff final. Final for for the championship <laughs> to be in the championship because I think the club had only ever done once before was it with Barry Swallow and that do I remember right when I was there they'd been at that level once before and that's how close we were and then probably then the team broke up like Dean Carly myself and and some of the players it, it broke up and they had good players on, underneath didn't they um, they start to move on but then it became the selling club and that's probably a card of or somebody who'd had a group like that would have been able to keep them and York there came a point where it just reached its time where it, where it needed to sell and be that selling club and it coped for quite a while and it bringing people in making money from them but at some point that breakdown didn't it and start to go the other way which was which is sad now in terms of where they are but you're right it was the peak it probably it really was the peak other than that Barry Swallow type period that I remember about in history where they're up there and Keith Houchin and you know, John really, Byrne and Keith Wall yeah, and that was Keith Wall yeah, yeah, yeah. but about 94-95 season that was your final season at Booban Crescent and you were player of the year 10 goals from midfield again did you know that that time was coming to an end and you mentioned about players moving on and were you keen to test yourself at the next level and how aware were you that clubs were coming in for you? There was, so there was lots there was lots of rumours and I did resign. I was only on a two year contract and I signed again probably because I trusted Alan so much it was very important very important figure to me in terms of my coaching I probably don't end up being a professional football because of Alan and, and his and his family and so I signed another couple of years I guess there was interest then and that's why York were doubling my money then from quite a low level as I come as a student they have me on 200 quid or something 180 quid I think I signed for so they doubled my money in a stake so it's quite significant but probably still not a lot but there was talk I remember there was interest about Blackpool in the papers and no it was QPR and there was me and Trevor Sinclair was the, the wide player at Blackpool I think we were around at the time and who were they going to take and I think Sinclair went to QPR but they were linking me with that I remember Bradford had supposedly coming with an offer and their chairman was it Jeffrey Richmond had said oh it's not worth that or something I think they might have offered £150,000 for me so, so there was bits of stuff and he gets he gets some like agents I never signed with them but it was Paul I don't know I think it was like Mel Steen was a famous agent Paul Gascoigne's agent at the time I think that's the name I remember getting a letter from him and that and all of a sudden stuff was changing but um, you know the second time as I come to the end of the second one it was quite clear that something could happen and I wasn't going I wasn't re-signing and we played in the pre-season game and Alan took me off at half time and it was strange I wondered why I was coming off at half time I didn't think I'd done bad or anything and then when the team went in the office he just gave me a bit of paper he says we've sold you to Paul Thale there's John Rogers' number give him a ring and it was, and I think it was probably quite hard for Alan we were close we brought him up and uh, and I was his player and I had lived in the digs with the family and that and then he just went back out for the second half and it was strange but that's hey, that's how he was quite a hard moment and I guess I guess we had a moment there it would have been a moment without 
and that's that's how we did it. And it was a tiny bit of paper. John Rutgers' phone number on. And I remember, and everyone else had gone back out for the second half, and I'm having a shower on my own, and, I, and I'm leaving the club, and, I, and I'm moving on. It was strange, bright, so, hey, sunny. You're, you're heading into your next season, and the next thing I know, I'm phoning up, and, and on that Sunday, I'm meeting John Rutgers and making the move to Port Vale, four hundred fifty thousand. I, th- I think it was at the time. Yeah. How much did you actually know about Port Vale? I mean, obviously, you'd have, you'd have played against them, I would imagine. So I knew that Paul Kerr had been there, who'd been at Middlesbrough, Bernie Slaven, been at Middlesbrough, Dean Glover. And so I ended up playing with Dean Glover, who was... It was somebody I used to stand on the terraces and pay for. So that's where I knew about Portville. Not completely sure where it is. Like all people, it was the next level. It wasn't. It, it was. It was the championship and a, and a chance to go and play in those next games. And that and that was the jump. We played. I made my debut against some foreign team, but it was a big stadium, held twenty thousand people, and that was the big difference. I remember early on. So we're playing Stoke. It's a massive game. One of the first games. We're playing Wolves. We're playing Birmingham. You were playing Derby and the games were on the television. It was on ITV. We were covering live matches. So it was right in the move up. And it was right for York. They made good money on me for nothing. And they made they made more. They almost made the same again when I moved because they had 20% clause. So when I moved from Port Vale to Birmingham for one and a half million two years later, I do know that it was it was actually 1.8 something because Port Vale wanted 1.5. So I think it had to be 1.8 because 300,000 was always going back to York. And we remember Paul Barnes went for quite a bit. Dean Carley went for quite a bit. There was a lot of money made at that time. The young lads, John Green, and, and there's a lot of things. So the clever. So it was good for for both ends, and it was. I, I did. Paul Vale was was good for me. It was good for me. Just the level, the crowds, and the games. It was it was it was really exciting. John, you mentioned earlier about four four two, and John Rudge seemed to play with real emphasis on the wingers, didn't he? With you on the right hand side and Steve Guppy on the left, yeah. that must have been giving you quite a boost there. But the team was maybe not centered around you two, but had a, had a big part of how you played. And I look back at some of the games as well, like when you when you beat Everton in the FA Cup and you got the winner. It must have been a real special time for you playing there. It was. It was. Um, so I was there in and out two seasons, but it was the same again. I went into a group, and I think John. Rudge did promotion and he spent quite a few years building that team and they sold Robin van der Laan to Derby for three quarters of a million used the money to buy me and Lee Mills came in from Derby as part of the swap deal and we were the last two bits really but there's good players good experienced players there and good midfielders Ian Bogey who was the next Gascoigne from Newcastle and, and Ray Walker and it was it was the next level in terms of technique and I had the physical attributes I'd moved on a lot because of the extra training I'd done so I got myself to the level where I'd cope but the, it did I think the four the four four two was still quite lots of teams still played that but I, I think probably because of the way I was quite basic quick run 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 I never appreciated as much Gary Swan, Nigel Pepper, the type of people who get on the ball and keep it and want the ball. And towards the end of my York career, I realised how important they were. And they were the best players. And you need the wrestlers that did the running around. And when I went to Port Vale and Birmingham, I saw that again. You see the next level of player and technically what they can do and how they can keep the ball. And there was good players in there who did that. But yeah, he played me and Steve Guppy. And, and actually, it's, it's a dream for his arm crossing. He's coming in at the other side. We're good strikers up front. Tony Naylor, who played against us in that crew. Cup final at, at York, really good striker. You see, tell the real difference in, in the quality and, and what they got. And, and it was, and it was a massive pitch at Port Vale, but suited me because because of my physical attributes. 
it almost helped me. It was harder for some of the other players and Steve could we could go up and down. And it was just a really exciting time. We struggled at first. We were bottom of the league. Neil Aspin was injured and Martin Foyle. And they came back fit after about 10 games. And all of a sudden, so we were at the bottom of the league. And then we had this mad cup run. We went to Crystal Palace, Drew beat them at home 4-3. Then we went to Everton. And the big thing about the Everton, this is when I became noticed. And again, it's luck. It was a weekend in which the weather was awful. So the pitches were frozen everywhere. Everton was one of the few grounds at the time that had under soil eaten. So there's only four games on that day and it's FA Cup weekend, a match of the day. So there's only four games, I think, Man United, Bournemouth or something. And for our game, I've had a game, one of those games, everything's happened. Gary Abbott, a left back, I ended up travelling in with, hey God rest his soul, Gary's, Gary's dead now, way before his time. But he was my, uh, won my car school at Birmingham, but I was playing against him. And I did loads of things right. I was flying pace-wise. We had all the Port Vale fans in that corner. And being at Goodison, it was it was amazing to go and play at that level. And um, won all. And so we're on for a replay and we've done well. They scored in the 92nd minute, but straight from the kickoff, Ian Bogies it wanted Fleck and gone in. So even made it even better. Two all, so it was going to be the main game on match of the day. So I'm in bed that night and you watch the game, great. But then at the end of that, Trevor Brooking comes on and, and they talk about, oh yeah, the two were. But, but the one particular, one player in particular stood out, John McCann, and then they showed about three clips. You know, like you'd expect. I remember now go, wow. And from that point on, if you, because match of the day was the programme that everyone watched, people knew who you were. We then went to Leeds and we drew at Leeds nil-nil and we went one nil up at Leeds. We were 10 minutes from playing Liverpool in the sixth round of the FA Cup. Gary McAllister scored two and knocked us out that beat that good Leeds team, you know, that was flying up against Tony Rodrigo and that. So all of a sudden, 442 Magazine wanted to do a piece of match of the day and it was dead lucky again. That was the bit where people really picked up on us and I guess you get a name and get your next move as well to Birmingham. So yeah, some luck in there along the way. Started playing for Northern Ireland, didn't you, as well? Mm-hmm. I wondered how our boy from Middlesbrough starts playing for Northern Ireland. How did that come about? Did they ask you? It was, I'd been approached for, so Mick McCarthy's manager at Republic of Ireland and it was in the time when Jack Charlton had done, tried to find out who was capable. Um, Terry Connery was at Stoke, was associate with the Republic of Ireland. Mick McCarthy McCarthy, who was a manager, Mick McCarthy, John McCarthy, they, they got in touch, first of all, to see if I was eligible. It was my great-grandfather that had the Republic of Ireland links, and that's one generation too far. But my grandma, who's from Northern Ireland, was from Coal Island up in the Dungannon. I'd never been to Northern Ireland, never been there. She'd been over in Middlesbrough, met my granddad in the army, being across. And, and so that was always around us. We knew that. And it was our second team. And with the Jim Platt Northern Ireland links, I know they're quite tenuous, but they'd always been our second team. So I was an England fan, no doubt about that. You know, in World Cups and that, I'm supporting them. But then we're not in there in 86, 90, following Northern Ireland. I guess you followed... Scotland, Wales, Brad, I had the qualification. So they asked me to play in the B International. It was when I was doing well at the time with Port Vale. The cup run, it all coincides with that, that stuff and being on match of the day. So they get in touch. I'm eligible. They asked me, so of course I go and play. And and they got me very quickly on as a substitute in a, to tie me down to them against Sweden and to, at Windsor Park. So, yeah, and it was, yeah, I got some great opportunities. So although we weren't that successful as a group as they have been in, in more recent times, I watched back the highlights of that your debut at Windsor Park and, and I wondered what the step up was like for you, for you because there were some top players weren't playing for I mean Henrik Larsson was on the bench I think for Sweden that night but Martin Darlene and so I guess in some respects when England draw play San Marino or somebody in the group they come across and post or whatever but it's their big moment now we weren't quite that level we had some Premier League players we had Gillespie 
being the be Jim Magilton, the being Dowie, the be a Michael Hughes, the be some good players around the championship players and some lower level players lower than that. But I got to play because if you're drawn in that European Championship qualifying group or World Cup qualifying group, they have to play against you. I played against Germany in, in Dortmund's stadium with Matthias playing against Nziga and, and just unbelievable names. I played against that France squad in a frenzy at Windsor Park that had won the World Cup with Bartes and all of the names and Lizard you know I'm playing against against those I played against the Spanish team oh, and, and if I go back the Italian team Ravanelli Zola I played against them in Sicily you know and which I wouldn't you know some unbelievable names on there which are really really important in my career and I, and I get that you know actually we didn't win many of those games but for me I guess that's the type of stuff that's you know I had the one-off game in the Worthington Cup final against Liverpool I guess that's the type of game that those big stars in the Premier League have over and over every week is it's like that for them and those reels every single week is that level and that focus and that attention and yeah in Italy as all I remember the Italian football stuff that we used to be on a Sunday that used to watch Galazzo and, and all of that I watched the documentary about that recently in the Coriella Dillas spot I know I've got that pink paper up somewhere up, up upstairs and I played against Maldini that day he was left back. It was it was Mad Del Piero scored and Zola scored and I was actually on the pitch with those type of people in some of those circumstances. Which from me playing non-league football and getting released by Hartlepool, the good moments. I know where I am now. I'm a teacher and I'm coaching in the National League North, and I'm quite humble and not. But but actually, it's nice. It just feels nice that I've done it. And even the current kids and that around it don't really know too much about that. And that's nice in a way. On to the next stuff and doing the next things. But for myself, it was just great to have been able to, I feel really fortunate to have had that experience and the Northern Ireland opportunity provided that for me. With Maldini, were you trying to do the same things you've always done? Sort of knock it around the outside and see if you can beat him for pace? God, no. I mean, they scored, they scored in about the second minute. We're 1-0 down in Sicily with this, it was like a proper, the smoke and everything that you'd see at a proper international game. It was un- unbelievable. I did play in Turkey. It was like, it was everything you thought you'd seen on the telly and World Cups and stuff. It was mad because they usually played the games wherever, but they'd gone to Sicily for this game. So it was, all the fans were out. It was mad. They scored after a minute. They had the full squad out. The only reason they played us England-Italy was the big the night in Turin was the second game but they beat England at Wembley 1-0 Zola scored was it the lad Walker was in goal for one of his few games they beat England 1-0 at Wembley so a month before they wanted to play a British team and it was a friendly game so they picked Northern Ireland we would be similar style but so they, they'd asked us to go across and play in that game so they'd used it like a practice match with all their players so they'd, they'd gone 1-0 up and we had just gone out right let's not get hammered we hardly got across the halfway line 4-4-2 the one time I got at Maldini I had a high foot and I remember I so I remember this is how mad it is I remember Maldini you know he just came up to you in, in that and it was in his Italian accent speaking English he just went in England yes in Italy no he said something you can't do that here and that was that's as close as I got and I'm probably you know, yes, sorry, Mr. Maldini. And that's as close we got. They completely dominated the game possession-wise, but they couldn't score any more. They scored. They scored in the first two minutes, and Del Piero bent a free kick in right at the end. Scored at the beginning minute and the last minute, and the rest of us we went there, which you could do if you're organised and disciplined and not get hammered by. It. So there was something I don't know, some kind of moral victory for us to not get beat. Sit six or seven and they were just using it as a practice match but it's an experience to say that you've been out there with those people yeah it feels quite good you mentioned before about Bir- signing for Birmingham 
you broke your leg three times, didn't you, when you were at Birmingham, which is massively unfortunate, particularly someone who I don't think really had too many injuries up until that point. Certainly not yeah. at York City. I never really remember you being, being out injured for a long period of time. How difficult was that to take when you, you weren't used to being injured? And did you lose a bit of confidence in kind of like your ability to run past people? And, you know, it must have yeah. had some sort of identity confidence. Nah, nah, it's really perceptive. It's exactly what happened. And it's, I went to Birmingham and I think this, the same thing happened at Port Vale. You go from York to Port Vale and it's different. It's big. I'm quite, um, people wouldn't know me that now. They see me coach and teach. And, but I was quite introverted. I was quite shy from a, a council estate in Middlesbrough, single parent. You know, I didn't have loads. Gone. Went to university and you never quite issue a place. But I, every time I moved up the levels, but I had a high work ethic and I could get there. And once I broke through that barrier, so the next level at Port Vale took me a while. I think I was almost going to get dropped 10, 11 games that played me and I broke through. I set the winner up and then I was away. And Birmingham, I probably polarised the fans because I still had that massive work ethic up, down, so people could see but I wasn't providing the, the quality. They'd won the first four games of the season. They signed me. They were top of the league. We didn't win a game then as I signed at Birmingham for 15 games. We actually played quite well in a lot of games. Now I was doing all right. I was actually gone in on good form, but we didn't win a game. And it was and because I'd been the sign and, and almost associated with that. So the Birmingham stuff was tough. And the season after, I'm, I'm still playing. We're in the, we're in the playoffs four seasons out of five at Birmingham to go up to the Premier League. In my third season there, I started and I don't think they were going to play me and then they played me at Norwich. I picked a good ball up from the halfway and went through and I bent one in with my left foot from 25 yards, scored. Practising in the gym at York yeah. City obviously paid off. It, it did, it did. It was, it was a moment. I, was, I got to a level where I was confident enough to swing it and I bent it in. We've won 1-0 at Norwich and that was the moment and it clicked and for about three, four months that was me right at my peak. And I played the best football. And hey, I'm not arrogant, but I was I was one of the best players in the chat. And at that time, Keith Gillespie was at Blackburn, where I was better than him. And I kept him out of the Northern Ireland team. I was right at my peak. But there was a game against Tranmere on a Tuesday night. We were up at the top and we were flying. I think that might have been the year. We'd have gone up, gone in the Premier League. I remember that. I remember the referee was from Middlesbrough. And Tranmere just knocked Middlesbrough out of the FA Cup. There's a strange comment in the tunnels were coming out. And he said to me, ah, don't worry, it's about today, John. He says, they knocked the butter out of the cup, you'll be all right today. But it was like laughing, and I thought it was just a jokey thing. I've hit this ball in the first minute from a diagonal on the, on the halfway line, and it barely got in their box, as far away on the edge, 18-yard box that you could be. I was striker Marcello went up for a header, and he gave us a penalty. And I, saw, I was like, what? Tranmere went mad. We scored one up. We're 3-0 up in 20 minutes or something. There was fighting on the pitch. John Aldridge was going mad. And then about half an hour in, lad breaks my leg I'm just kicking a ball down the line put leaves his studs in there uh, and it's gone and you know I'm out about six months get back at the end of the season it goes again at Man City live on Sky and now I'm out like 18 months I get back again the third time and, and I play in the Worthington Cup final I don't play in any of the rounds he picks me the game before against Preston he knows what I can do tactically and go up and down. And I play in the Worthington Cup final, nowhere near, nowhere near like I was in the position when I played at Wembley for York, nowhere near the confidence. And it was because I'm out for two years, the game moves on. I'd lost that little sharpness in the bit of pace that I had that gave me the confidence. And I almost don't play for two, two and a half years. And that fitness goes. And so there's a sad, there's a tinge of sadness because I'd really hit my peak and I probably had about 18 months at that level. No more. That would have been me because I had a lot of miles on my clock. I wasn't like a Sheringham who was technically good, who was going to play to 40. But I probably had about 18 months at the real best football, real highest level, maybe a touch a season in the Premier League. And it went there. And I was maybe too honest about coming back too early and it broke again. But then if I'm honest, 
what it did achieve from playing at Shep Shed and semi-professional released an article yeah maybe it did more than I thought I would so that was yeah that was it so you, you were spot on that's exactly what happened the injuries meant that that was me that was me done yeah but I was lucky I ended up in non-league football and, and, and saw out and it didn't feel like my career was stopped I played at a good level and I went back to my roots and had some success there winning a couple of North Conferences played in the conference right up until I was 38 yeah so well you also, you also had a, a solo pick back at York City as well didn't you how, how did that move come about and how come it only lasted one game so the as I as I left Birmingham, I had a month at Sheffield Wednesday on loan. As I left Birmingham, it was it was a time it could happen now. In the in the current circumstance, I think you're going to get something similar. But at the time, there was like ITV Digital, that put some money into sport, and Satanta, a company from Ireland, and they had invested some money in football, and they'd almost given the money up front for a couple of years, and they went bust right at the time I was coming out. So I'm going from Birmingham with some broken legs, but there was a long way to drop. I probably should have ended up at a league club, but actually, people had spent this and then went going. To get this money so a lot of clubs had spent this money on player wages and then the money wasn't going to come in so actually it was really difficult to get a club they had no room to budget I trained with Port Vale I played a couple of games with them and they couldn't offer anything I went to, I just went and trained with York they asked me to come in I said I'll come in and train and went in there and I was just enjoying the training and, and being around and almost seeing where a club had come and it was that mad it was a mad time the racing driving Kit Kats and, and all that stuff can't remember his name it was a bachelor. Yeah. So it was all that time. And I was in and around and the just, I think stuff behind the scenes was probably really strange, tight and tough. They had no money and they asked me to play. And there was always the prospect of getting injured. But I, play, I said, yeah, I'll play for nothing. I played a game for nothing for them. And they won 3 2. And I was, I was okay, you know, and it was nice to, to, to come back. It, it was good, but I wasn't at the level I was at. But we won the game 3-2. I, I think Parkin would have played up front. I'm sure he played up yeah, front. Yeah. And there was, there was some good, good plays around. But the mad thing was, I played that one game at Bootham Crescent. They couldn't offer me any. Carlisle signed me. On the back of that, Carlisle, the team, Carlisle signed me till the end of the season. And the next game was at Bootham Crescent for Carlisle. I ended up coming back. It was strange. I ended up getting a rib injury at Carlisle and, and that was all right. I played in a, in a some cup for LD Vance cup final for Carlisle in that last season against Bristol City, another Millennium Stadium appearance. It was it was a mad time. I guess that was the journeyman football end of it. Still have that. I want to play. I want to keep playing and actually not realising that the injuries had taken too much out of me. So then the next decision was good to drop down quite a bit, a few levels further and end up playing at right back and enjoyed my football then. I was good player in decent team but at the right level where I was still good enough to, to get football out of my system and then retire properly and go into education rather than almost being taken away from me and leaving a little bit a little bit bitter so yeah that's I did a little bit of the proper journeyman football and not being as good as I should have been hanging around a bit through honesty just wanting to hang around in the game there and playing thin your head thinks you can still do it and then I realised from that point that I can't let's go down finish off and start the education thing and then I transitioned quite well then from football into education which meant that I haven't had some of the problems that other footballers do struggle from and, and you went into management as well didn't you with Chester where you, you won three, three wins from the last four games to keep them up and you got a two and a half year contract I think January 2017 yeah. and then the following season got off to a bad start and then, then was out of it was, was that a difficult spell or was that something you look back on fondly it was good I went in and did I've worked my way up and done my A licence done my badge it takes about seven years and Steve Bear who had played with the North he said we come up and, and I went part time with them Chester and they were near the bottom they were going to get relegated and we kept them up we got them from the bottom of the table to, to fourth bottom and on the last day of the season 
it was mad. We, we sort of got relegated. A goal at Hereford and a goal against us completely changed it. We were fifth bottom and fourth bottom. But then Darford or somebody didn't pay and we ended up staying up in the, in the league. And then we had some good times there. I was assistant manager. It was a good time. I learned that. I used to run the community trust there as well. That was my other job to like to almost do community trust on the day, part-time football with them. And as Steve uh, struggled at the end and he left, they just gave me caretakers at the end of the season. They were getting relegated, but we won three of the last four, scored 10 goals. And it was great. They gave me the job on the back of that. And the next season was amazing, really. I had three players at the beginning of the season. I really enjoyed it to be me tactically going up against. And the, the thing was, Chester was seen as this big club. But it was a supporters-run club. And so the, what was hard was we had big crowds and they still saw themselves. But we had a really low budget. Our budget was at the bottom of the at the bottom of that division. So although there was a perception Chester was a big club in that league, it wasn't. But tactically, that was really interesting for me because you were setting up not to get beat against Tranmere's and Forest Green, who had budgets of two million, and our, our budget was three hundred thousand in there. And we went on a run of eight clean sheets, eight wins in a row, and stayed up. And as an experience, as a coach and managing experience, it was brilliant. It was brilliant for me. The fans, you know, they, they, I couldn't get across that message between this, this, your new club now, Chester, and that. And when you start beginning this next season, not too well. It was a shame in a way because we'd done some good stuff there and started to join the academy up. But it's not hard for me because I know football and I've had loads of rejections and that. It's quite hard on your family. When you get quite like publicly sacked, it's quite tough and it's quite embarrassing. There's some kind of, yeah, there's some kind of embarrassment to it. And it's tough for your kids and that stuff around. But for me, actually, I got, I got a lot from the experience. So it's good. You started off assistant manager at Southport under Kevin Davis and you ended up staying, didn't you? And you're still assistant, I believe, to Liam Watson. Was it hard going back to being an assistant? And, and do you harbour hopes to manage again? No, I'm, it's, no it, makes, it makes you a better assistant. The coaching is the bit that I like. So when I'm a manager, I'm, I'm coaching. I'm an assistant coach and I get to do all of that Liam will do the recruitment it gives me gives me the run of the coach and it is the bit that, that I like and I'm involved in some education we coach American students who come across and do degrees at the University of Chester I do an online degree at, at Salford University I deliver the coaching module on there it, it is the coaching and the tactics and the analysis and everything that really excites me about that so so as long as I'm as long as I get to do the coaching bit it doesn't matter and it's allowed me to combine the education the football the something about still coaching at at that level which is a good level of football six division York are in there now aren't they you know it's given me an opportunity to come back to Bootham over the last couple of years which I never thought I'd get it'd be sad it was probably the last one but actually that first chance I got to come back to Bootham I think I was his manager there I might have still been assistant then manager. It's been quite nice that to actually see the ground because it won't be there very much. And, and I do remember it was, yeah, it was quite poignant. I enjoyed that first visit back to Bootham and just had a like, set the warm up and have a little look around the pitch and really familiarise itself with some of the memories. So that, that's been good. But it is the coaching. It's the coaching that I like. I guess in the same way that players combine two jobs now, you know, they have a job and then they're able to, you're almost able to have two incomes through football. It works well for me that I can do some education, which which I, I like and suits me. But the football element coaching at that competitive level still makes me really relevant for like the teaching that I'm doing, the football coaching delivery and and, and the coaching module on, on a applied football studies degree and that. So, so it works well for me and I get a good balance. 
couldn't mix the two things that I like. And what, what do you uh, make of the, the current York City situation? I don't know if you've been keeping up with it, but York look like they're going to be kind of moved into second place under points per game and Kingsland will be promoted. York City are having a massive Twitter campaign called Promote 2 to try and get the, the non-league to kind yeah. of reconsider their decision. What, what do you make of that? Do you back York's stance with that? The current situation means I thought York would have gone up. I thought, and I've said all along, and, and it's not me saying here now because I'm on York, if you would ask Liam Watson all our journeys on coaches and that, almost based on what happened last year, Charlie were ahead and Stockport came with the run and with their, their fan base and their support, they just gathered this momentum and went up and went above Charlie. Charlie went up in the playoffs. And I'd said there was a little spell there where, where Kingsland slipped up and York didn't take some points where they should have done. I think they're guilty of missing an opportunity there because then they would have been in this points per game basis and they would have been ahead. There was a li- I don't understand why they didn't win the games there when Kingsland slipped up. But then it started to happen and some of the momentum, Kingsland's top score and not firing them in as much and York were building. And I think it started to go. And probably if the lockdown comes in another three weeks later, I think York have probably gone above them and they would have gone up in the points per game ratio. But I think by the end of the season, if you'd have asked me to put any money on it, it would have been York. I was saying York will end up. There was enough games left. I felt like the 10, 11, 12 games where York would have overpowered them by the end and gone up by right. So I can understand the Twitter campaign, but actually based on the situation and what you've got given now and what those administrators had to do, you know, right at that point, Kings Lynn did, did deserve, <laughs> you know, the run that they'd had. I think York would have caught them, but it would have been, it would have been Kings Lynn. So I think Steve Watts, I think he's done a good job. I like his coaching team there. I do like them. I think they've picked it up and... and Turned it round. The squad they assembled was excellent. They were lucky to lose the striker. Maguire was a blow because I think I think the combination of the two strikers would have been really strong. And I think then they then they'd have gone up. Right, John. Just to sort of finish off, then some quick fire questions that I normally ask everyone. Who is the best player that you have ever played with? Oh, you know, I get asked this a, a bit, and I, I should take my time to to work work it out. Um, I guess at Birmingham, I did come across. You know, that was the highest level I played at. It was the Northern Irish stuff I played with, Neil Lennon and Gillespie and people like that who were were good players. It wasn't when he was at his best. I think this is how I usually answer it. It was right at the end of his career, but Steve Bruce was signed at Birmingham when I joined just after so he'd had all of that Manchester United he wasn't going to have a testimony and Birmingham took him and I remember being when I signed them they said oh just stand back services a couple of lads will meet you and pick you up and when I got there it was Steve Bruce and Gary Ablett and I'd gone from New York Port Vale and all of a sudden I was um, I was in this car school with those two and they were talking about league winners medals and, and, and cup, cup medals and I wasn't I wasn't quite brave enough to mention the Anglo-Italian runners-up medal or, or, or the York playoff medal but I guess you know, you could see the quality of playing with him. And, you know, I played play with some good strikers, Marcello, Paul Furlong there, and Peter Undlove. There were some, some good players in that team. We were always competing at the top of the championship. But I would think the best I ever played with was probably Bruce. And who would you say was probably the best player that you ever played against? It almost it sounds like quite arrogant stuff. So, um, and, I, and I do joke, make a laugh about in the in the change rooms with those. But the, I did play against Maldini. You know, so I played against that Italian team and and Zola and Del Piero, and I played against that France team that won that won the World Cup, and then we played the World Cup final. So Gerard and Fowler and 
and the likes of those played there. So there were one-off games, and it was all—it almost felt, always felt like that. It felt like a privilege. It felt like felt like special games. I could cope with them physically. You know, I could I could run all day with them. But actually, technically, you could see the gulf, and then it was that technical consistency that could just do it over and over again. So um, I guess I'm not sort of in that level where I was playing against them week in week out, where you can really rate it. It's more of a everybody else knew they were good players, and I got one moment where I was on the pitch at the same time as them. So I guess it's not the same where I could really rate them. It was just I got an opportunity to be on that one. Is, is it quite easy to get overawed by it? Because like you say, you're, you're only playing them once every now and again, not not every week. Was there any points in time where you're on the pitch like against Italy and you, you were sort of almost pinching yourself thinking, a few years ago I was kicking a ball against against the wall in the gym at York City? Yeah, I do. I do, exactly. And, and now... When I was physically fit, when I could run, that, that was a lot of my confidence. I, I knew I could, I could be as quick as anybody and I could, I could run all day with people. That's a big asset to have and it gives you a lot of confidence and that's where I was able to develop everything else. So actually on a pitch when I felt fit and strong, the atmosphere and the stuff around it was brilliant. It was magical. As a young kid, you'd watch that stuff. So to experience that stuff and, you know, international games, it, it was it was really special. I could sense that. But when I, when I felt like I could run all day, the actual football side of it didn't didn't worry me at all. I could go and compete against them. I knew they were good and, you know, it was harder to go past people and play at the level you wanted. But um, I guess it's, it's to do with anxiety. When you know you can cope with the situation, you, you don't worry about it. When I'd had the injuries and I'm playing in a Worthington Cup final, there's lots of people watching. You become more aware of it. And so it would be. So after the injuries, when I got a chance still to be in a few of those games and play against that level, I knew I couldn't cope as well as I could before. That's when things became, you became a little bit more nervous and anxious and obviously hoping to get through it when I was fit and, and the next opportunity, the next exciting game came up that was it it was exciting I looked forward to that stuff so that didn't make me anxious Is that why you maybe didn't take a penalty in the Wervinson Cup final whereas for York in the in the playoff final that you did <laughs> so, so there is um, I could call with that you, you, have a, you have a lot of rejection but there's more disappointments than there is highs you know actually if you think about say, 90 91 teams in the league at more 92 there's only ever one team four teams are successful and there's a lot more that are unsuccessful and I guess if you make the playoffs or a certain team, if you avoid relegation, we'll talk about that. But actually, there's not many people in the season who are actually successful. But when, so I, it never worried me to put myself in front of something. And if I missed, at least I always felt like I knew something about myself. I would find something about myself and I'd be better. So actually, the, the, the York game in the playoff final, I played well, put me in front of a penalty. As a manager, if I was selecting, got the opportunity to select five penalty takers now, I would almost look at that. Not so much strikers. I've seen strikers miss them in penalties who you would fancy. And in the Wellington Cup final, I was I was sent a half, scored a penalty in the last minute to take us to extra time with Liverpool. Have a look at who's really informed, who's played well in the game and get them to take it. So in the Birmingham game, I put my hand up, come across five. And so I put my hand up. So it's a bit of a blow when they don't pick it. They pick the other five to, to take them. But I remember there being a conversation with me and Nicky Eden. And so once the five are picked, it has to go in that order. And we didn't realise it at the time. And as it was coming up to number five, young Andy Johnson, who, who had a good career at Everton and, and Palace, I think he was the Premier League's top scorer at one point. He was 18. He'd come on as a substitute. And they picked him number five. I remember me and Nicky saying, look, if it's number five to win it for us, it would be unlikely against Liverpool. But if it is, I said, hey, we let the young lad go, no fear. And I said to Nicky, I said, if it's number five and he's got to take it to keep us in the competition, I said, me or you need to go up 
And when he got near that point, we did approach the referee, and he, I didn't realise at the time, you can't, you name your five and they, those get taken. Those five have to be taken in that order, and then the rest of it can be whoever's next. So it would have been me on Nicky Eden, six or seven after him. And Aina wasn't feeling that confident. He was in front of the Liverpool end, walking up with that. Would have been a hard walk. I am not arrogant enough to go, you know, it would have been a hard walk. But I don't, hey, I'd have done it. I'd have, I'd have gone and I'd have gone. What I had done, I'd watched Vesterveld go to his left every time. And he'd saved a couple that side and Andy Johnson went that way and he saved it. What I would have done is gone gone to the keeper's right, which I did in the playoff at York. It would have been my stock penalty and gone that side. I might have pulled it wide, but I think the keeper would have gone the other way. Have you got a favourite goal that you scored over your career? I remember scoring one that always always sticks in my mind. I had, there's two at York. There was one I received a ball, it was Blackpool, it was where we would play Blackpool, 5 nil away from home, and I received one, received on my back foot, probably about 20 yards out, and I shaped up to put it in the top, keeper's top left-hand corner, and just dragged it right across and bent it back in the other top corner. And I guess nobody else remembers it, and I might not remember it as clearly as it happened. If, if I saw the goal ever again, I wonder whether it is how it was in my mind. But I remember that being a good strike. And there was one, and it was, um, and I'm sure we went 3 1 up against Rotherham in an FA Cup tie at home. And I remember running through, rain down, and as the keeper come out, I just shift it over him. And I remember it because I've got a picture of it somewhere, and I should get it framed at some point. And it's right in front of the booth and the longer I stayed, the longer I stand. And as I chip the ball over, it's perfect. The keeper's at my feet. It's just the back of me, number seven on my shirt. York. There's rain coming down and all the fans are there. They they stick with me as the, as the couple of goals from New York. I talk about an important goal I scored for Birmingham, which really got me up and running away at Norwich. And then it would be the Port Vale. It, it would be that goal I scored, which changed things a little bit in terms of how people knew about when I scored the winner. They knocked the cup holders out of the FA Cup, Everton. I had that kid's dream. I had an FA Cup moment, which is which you do think about as you're growing up. And I, and I had one of those, which was um, which was a special night, a full house there and you're knocking out the cup holders. So yeah, that's, that was a, a special moment. One of my favourite goals you scored for the art was one against Fulham. I don't know if you remember it, but I think you'd gone actually 24 games without a goal after that 5-0 Cardiff win that we talked about earlier. And it came to the edge of a box and you sort of controlled it with your knee and then sort of flicked it into the top corner of the net. I don't know if you remember that one. I do now. And I wouldn't have done until you reminded me of it. Hey, that's strange, that. Because I'm, I'm even, when you first mentioned Fulham, I remember I played against them with Birmingham when they'd, they'd come up and they had to Ghana and using Jeff Horsfield and the likes. But yeah, we did. They were in that, that lower down. And I do remember going there to Fulham now and I do remember that game. And I know there is videos of the seasons when we're at York and I've seen bits of clips on YouTube. And it is something as I've got older, you know, I should collect those for, for the kids and stuff. And, and I might go and look at that. But yeah, as you talk about it, flicking up and do that. I remember only scoring a brace twice, which was against Brighton. All the other times it was one goal. But a lot of the stuff I remember were assists. I remember going through once to what again towards the David Longhurst and turning a player one way in the other way he fell over and, and laid it for Tony Cannon and he put one in I remember away at Plymouth they doing something where I went past people and rolled it right across the line for somebody to tap one in one two one a lot of the stuff I do remember where um, where assists would be crosses going through and putting Paul Barnes though I remember a pass that I played through to him it's, it's, so it's strange and I guess that was probably tells me a little bit about more of the player I was so I weighed in with I would average one in five I think one in five, one and six, about 10 goals a season, which was useful from, from wide right. But a lot of my work was 
to go down the outside and, and, and get a crossing. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, I do remember that one. Now, now you mentioned. Just a final question for you, John. Who's the best manager you've played for? It is a really tough question, and it is one I thought about, and without ever really coming with an answer, is it because I see the value in a lot of them, and so you know, and you can almost be disrespectful in one way. You start talking about the qualities of one one manager, you might be thinking I didn't have that. So, hey, honest as truthfully as I can, there was the values of Alan Little were his honesty and his work rate. And without him, I don't get an opportunity. I do not get an opportunity in the game without Alan Little. I recognise that. And he must have saw in me some of those qualities. And that's why he stuck with me a little bit. And I hope he realises that's where I got back from him. It was just that honesty and that work rate, which, which worked for me. I might argue the whole package, it might be John Ward, you, you know, that, that spell who came in and I didn't have that long with him and he's kept in touch with me a little bit over the years and, he, and he, I remember him sending me a letter when I got a move from Bristol Road, it was a nice touch and I didn't have long with him but within that period I could recognise, you know, his intelligence and his coaching and his man management. I could recognise all of that. John Rudger Port there was really significant for me, but his was recruitment. His was recruitment. He spent all his time out watching players and he, and it might ultimately be the main thing to get right is recruitment. If you have good players, you'll end up with a good team. Trevor Francis was, in terms of the level of player that he'd been at, this was an outstanding football. He still joined in five sides and although he couldn't run, you could see what a player he'd been. But... His was his profile and that, and, you know, all of these people have took a gamble on me and took a risk on me. So I'm grateful to all of them. They, they all had a, a real influence. But if I was to come back to it, it's, it's, it's Trevor Francis and John Rudge taking a gamble on me. And John Rudge really managed me well. But nothing, none of it happens without Alan Little. And the John Ward influence that came in, that Alan Little then then learned from and took on and added some of his coaching, some of his methods to, to Alan Little's work rate and, and honesty. Really difficult. It is a really difficult question for me to answer. And that's why it's, a, it's such a good question. And I have thought about it quite a bit and I still quite can't quite come to terms with it. And the only way I can equate that to a real answer is that actually it was the combination of everything. It sounds like a cop-out, but it was a combination. And at the beginning, I needed that belief, somebody to recognise the work rate and the honesty. And then as I moved on, I was able to develop some of the other aspects of my game and, and add some of the intricacies and some of the technical stuff. So, Did John Ward ever try to sign you again? Yeah. You know what? And I, I, I will have that letter somewhere. It was such a nice touch when I got my move to Port Vale. John Ward sent me a letter at Bristol Rovers, headed no paper, and he didn't have to. And, and yet, it, you know, as you said that now, I think that's what the letter had on. So it was to wish me all the best. And I'm sure in the letter, it'll be in the loft at some point. I'm probably not going to get out for another 20 years or something, all my stuff, but it, it will be. It was it was in that letter now. He reminded me where he put, hey, I made an offer for you and, and couldn't get you. I think he did come in for me at some point and, and the turn, turned it down. He'd gone to Bristol. Rovers and, and maybe the money ended up being quite significant I think that was paid for me at the time I think he might have offered 100,000 or something like that so he probably came in for us quite quickly I'm sure he did some of the others you know uh, that team at the time I, I imagine that his first part of call Paul Barnes I'm sure he would have had a look at Dean Kiley, you know I, I wonder any of the others as well so I'm, sh- I'm sure I wasn't the only one who tried to take on and have some kind of continuity Well from my point of view and I'm sure many other York City fans I'm, I'm glad he didn't because you, you played for York City much longer than, than you would have done if you'd have been signed John it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you I hope you've enjoyed uh, reminiscing on a, over some of those York City memories Yeah really have it was, a, it was a really special time in my career young playing football none of it none of it happens to me without that and I, and I, did, lo- I did love that I love that crowd and, and, and some of the memories and even going across the 
other side and you'd get the, the applause. As a wide player, you had that little connection because you're right close to fans on either side. It's, it's, it's special and it brings it home even more as the probably I might not go to Bootham Crescent again. And I've been fortunate over the last couple of years that, that I've seen that. That's probably the last time I actually get within that environment. It's really special memories, and you know, I really do appreciate you you wanting to get in touch and feeling that hey, people might wanna might wanna hear some of those stories again because it's uh, yeah, it has brought a lot of it back to me. Appreciate it. Huge thanks to John McCarthy there for giving up his time. I found that was a really insightful interview. I, even though he's my, probably my favourite player of all time, John McCarthy, I had no idea how much um, dedication he put into to his craft and uh, you can see why he had such a successful career based on that dedication that he's uh, shown. Also, big thanks to the Surgeon family for sponsoring the episode. Anyone who's interested in sponsoring any future episodes in future series just needs to drop me a line on uh, Twitter or, or email us. It's uh, yourhospitalball at gmail.com. Also, huge thanks to anyone who's uh, donated over the past couple of series that we've done j- during lockdown they're all really gratefully received by hospital radio and that just giving page will remain open there so if you, if you haven't left a donation but you'd like to it's still there it's justgiving.com forward slash your hospital radio like i say this was the last episode of the series uh, we will be back i have already organized tentatively a couple of people who've agreed to come on so i just need to firm those up probably do that in the next couple of weeks or so and uh, we will be back and appreciate any comments that people have left over the last two or three months it's been a real highlight of my lockdown um, certainly and uh, I hope it's been a bit of a, a distraction for people during this difficult time so thanks again and hopefully see you soon